Well, hey, cousins, you are listening to Revolutionary Hood Rat with Kim Young of Dope Black Social Worker, and welcome back. Listen, we done made it to episode number four, and I am damn proud of myself because I have been practicing discipline lately in my life. It might come to a shock as a shocker to some people, but I actually struggle with discipline in my personal life. I am incredibly fantastic with practicing discipline in my professional life or in other relationships. When it comes to my own shit, woo, baby, the struggle. And so I am really proud of myself for seeing this through for a month, made it to a month of doing the podcast. So we'll see where this continues to go. Um, Let me take a moment just to check in. I would say in this moment, I am showing up tired. I'm definitely recording this episode later than the schedule that I have to record podcast episodes because y'all know it was the 15th day from Juneteenth that we celebrated. So July 4th. And so I was outside and I wasn't doing anything had to do with work or podcast. And so this episode is definitely coming a bit later in terms of recording. And I thug is tired doing it, but I'm going to see it through. Um, because even though I am physically tired, my heart is well. And at the same time, I am distracted, but I imagine much of that will work itself out as I continue to move through this episode and share this space with y'all in this way. And let's go ahead and jump into some revolutionary news for the week. And I actually want to shout out G Herbo. So if folks are not familiar with G Herbo, whose real name is Herbert Randall Wright III, uh, G Herbo is a 27-year-old father, fiance, um, son, brother, and rapper out of Chicago. And he recently launched a nonprofit. It's called Swerving Through the Stress. Y'all, I cannot get enough of this name. The name of G Herbo's nonprofit is Swerving Through the Stress. And the mission of Swerving Through the Stress is to destigmatize conversations around mental wellness among youth through education and resources. And so G Herbo has been incredibly transparent with his struggles of living with PTSD, so post-traumatic stress disorder. He even named one of his projects PTSD, um, but he talks a lot about the trauma of growing up in Chicago, you know, things he's dealt with throughout his childhood and then even as a, a young adult stuff he dealt with with friends dying and seeing violence and things inside of his home and so he has been incredibly transparent and open with talking about his challenges with his mental wellness and I think it is so dope to see folks like G Herbo right like stepping into these spaces using the language of the culture things that are familiar to the culture to really help relate to other young people who can hopefully see themselves in folks like G Herbo. And so much love, much respect and wishing all the goodness um, in the direction of G Herbo's nonprofit and all those that are involved and the impact that it will have uh, with youth. So swerving through the stress, if y'all have not heard about it, I really want to encourage you to tap in and and learn more about the work that G Herbo and uh, his team are doing to address uh, mental wellness amongst youth. So very, very dope. Um, You know what's not dope though, as we transition into Earth is Ghetto, is that I have gone years without knowing about Gypsy Rose Blanchard. Nobody, nobody, none of y'all was gonna tell me about Gypsy Rose Blanchard and y'all know how much I love white mess 
Y'all know how much I love true crime. Y'all know how much I love this shit. And y'all let me go all these years. I'm talking about years like the Gypsy Rose Blanchard story broke like in 2018. Y'all, and I think the documentary dropped in like 2019. And y'all wasn't going to tell me about Gypsy Rose Blanchard. Y'all ought to be shamed. Absolutely ghetto. You ought to be shamed. And so I don't want anyone to end up like me in complete disgust, feeling betrayed, feeling like don't nobody love them or care about them. So let me do my best to try to recap the Gypsy Road Blanchard story. Um, and let's start with the documentary that actually came out in 2017. So double shame on everybody because that's dumbass long ago. I went all these years without knowing about this. But anyways, the name of the documentary that I watched, it was on HBO Max. Well, excuse me. It was on Max. And it's called Mommy Dead, Mommy Dearest. And so one of my old colleagues, they shared this in the group chat because we still maintain contact and communication because we all love true crime, scam documentaries and white mess. Even though I'm black and they white, they understand the white mess of it all. And I appreciate them. And so she dropped this documentary in the group chat i said oh i gotta watch this because the cover alone if y'all see the cover you're gonna be like oh what is this and so it's called like i said mommy dead mommy dearest and it recaps the story of gypsy rose blanchard and her mother Didi blanchard so i'm really trying to balance recapping the story of gypsy rose without like like spoiling it just in case y'all want to go watch it and dive down this rabbit hole like I did because it took a turn that your girl was not ready to take and it really took that turn quick and I was like oh like how we get up over here but Gypsy Rose and her mother Dee Dee they had a very complicated relationship um one that I don't even think toxic is a word. I don't know what this codependent, um, I don't know what the word is to describe it, but they had some shit going on between them. And it ultimately resulted in Dee Dee Blanchard, Gypsy's mom, ended up being murdered by Gypsy's boyfriend that she met online. But Gypsy also encouraged the boyfriend to kill her. What I'm trying not to do is like reveal the motive behind Gypsy encouraging her mother. No, Gypsy encouraging her online boyfriend to kill her mother. And then he actually came and did that shit. Because when y'all find out what the hell Didi was doing to Gypsy and not just doing, but like doing on behalf of her, like putting thoughts into her head, having her behave and perform certain ways in public, y'all going to be like, oh, oh, that bitch was crazy. And I was not trying to speak ill on the dead. It's just the best way I could sum it up. You're just going to be like, oh, that bitch is crazy. She was crazy. Wild. It was a wild ride. And so you need to watch Mommy Dearest, Mom Mommy Dead, Mommy Dearest. Just know Gypsy got locked up. She got like 10 years for participating in the, the plot to kill her mother and ultimately the, her mother's murder. I think it was like second degree murder she got charged and convicted with. But my girl Gypsy, um, I think she didn't got married while she been incarcerated, y'all. And if I'm not mistaken, she up for parole this year. So Miss Gypsy Rose might be getting out very soon. 
but that boyfriend he gone he bye-bye for forever like he just not coming back out and I will say this like after I watched mommy dead and dearest I found out about the Hulu show that like dramatized the whole story it was like an eight-part series it's called the act it is on Hulu I don't remember who stars in it because I don't really I'm not good with names. It don't matter who it is to be very honest with you. But hold on, let me look this up because I want to make sure that I give accurate information about who is in the story or who are the actors and actresses in the story. And so, yes, it's called The Act. It came out in 2019. It's currently streaming on Hulu. It is an eight-part series and it stars Joey King. I have no idea who Joey King is or who Joey King was before I watched The Act. But from this point forward, Joey King is Gypsy Blanchard and a way around that. And then Patricia Arquette stars as Dee Dee Blanchard, Gypsy's mama. And then there's some other supporting cast members. They did the, you know, they did their big one, but the show really centers around the relationship between Gypsy and Dee Dee. And then ultimately what happened to them. When I tell you this story had me tied up, for a smooth two and a half days because I binge watched the entire, the act on Hulu. And then, you know, I rewatch Mommy Dead and Dears. So I said, oh no, I got to watch this one more again because I think I didn't miss something in the plot. And then I tried to watch the Dateline that they have on Gypsy Rose Blanchard, but you need like a Discovery Plus um, premium, a Discovery Plus subscription. And I said, should I ain't getting no more subscriptions? I tried to even sign up for a free one, but then that didn't work out. So I guess I just won't be able to watch the little Dateline documentary they had on Gypsy Rose. But I want y'all to go watch this. I want y'all to go watch this. Especially if you are highly entertained by white mess and foolishness and you just like a good story. It's not scary. I'm going to tell you now. It's it's a little like, oh, this is different, but it's not like a horror or nothing. It's just like these people are wild. The world is wild. And I really want y'all to go watch Mommy Dead and Dearest and learn about Gypsy Rose Blanchard and then like come back and talk to me about it on Instagram because I probably will be talking about this for quite some time because I have not been this enthralled by a documentary or in a docuseries in a long time. Like I actually probably need to find a podcast about Gypsy Rose at this point. If y'all know any podcasts about Gypsy Rose, let me know. Please let me know. Um, Just real quick, speaking of podcasts, my current ass- obsession right now is Business Wars. Can't get enough of that. And then I've been going down like this deep dive around Apollo 13. And I found a podcast about Apollo 13. Um, because I was just so fascinated with the idea, like, then people went up in space, shit went bad, and they came back alive. Ooh. I said, I need to know the science, mechanics, and engineering behind this. Um, but, yeah, that's all I got for, like, Gypsy Rose uh, Blanchard. Please go check that out. Um, and now, let me see. Oh, Juvenile's Tiny Desk. That was so black. It was so Southern. It was it was phenomenal. Phenomenal. And the funniest part about it all is like Juvenile didn't even know 
what Tiny Desk performances are. And so if you are also unfamiliar with a Tiny Desk performance, they are produced by NPR and they stream on YouTube. And they essentially just invite artists from different musical genres to come and perform in, inside their, I guess, the studio or the offices of NPR with like the set that looks like an office, like a really tiny office. Um, but it's live music, right? And so they'll have drummers, guitarists, bassists, vo vocalists, everybody. So it's a whole band and the artists. So I need y'all to picture like a band with like vocalists, background vocalists, and goddamn juvenile. I'm talking about like he had full gold fronts on rapping not even rapping he was doing like a deaf poetry jam if you ask me it was like deaf jam poetry slam whatever them things was called back in the day it was one of them it was like pure poetry and my favorite part is he didn't even try to edit he the agreement likely was i ain't coming up there to do that tiny desk unless i can say the lyrics the way i know them and the way i wrote it meaning i'm saying all these cuspers and so like you have like stringed instruments horns, everything playing in the background, Manny Fresh on the little beat machine and Juvenile, like talk rapping his lyrics over some of those beautiful sounds I've heard in a very long time. And I can just visualize like Juvenile at a symphony somewhere, but putting that shit on as like adult production. That'd be so, 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 so cool. And so if you have not watched Juvenile's Tiny Desk performance on NPR YouTube channel, go do it. I don't know what you're doing. I don't know why you have not do, done it yet. Go do it. Watch his. Of course, Usher's was good. Trina's was good. Duran Bernard was good. Um, So many, so many phenomenal. Megan Thee Stallion had one. Megan's was good. So many phenomenal artists have kind of, you know, passed through um, Tiny Desk and now Juvenile has cemented his place. And he even said on Twitter, now he knows what a tiny desk is. Because when I tell y'all, boy from the Noya, he was pissed off when people kept telling him he needs to do a tiny desk and he didn't even know what he was. He thought they was talking shit about him. That was the best part of this whole situation. And now it's completely full circle. Please go check that out if you have not checked that out. Um, let me see. I'm not really trying to be on here too long today. Oh, so this spill app, I saw it like circulating on Twitter. I don't want to talk about it too much because I don't fully understand it. But like all throughout the weekend, folks were making this transition from Twitter to spill. And by folks, I mean white people. And by spill, I mean S-P-I-L-L, -L, like I guess spill the tea. And so like a lot of black folk were migrating from Twitter onto this spill app. I'm still trying to navigate and figure out what it is and, and how to use it, but also trying to evaluate if I have the capacity for another social media app. I likely don't because ever since I got a code and made an account, I ain't really been on that shit, but it seemed like it's cool. It seemed like the cousins are really enjoying it and are really curious to kind of observe what happens with it. I know folks ain't leaving Twitter though, but spill cute. It probably will turn into something or maybe it just might be the next clubhouse. I don't know. Because this clubhouse even still around? Anyways. um, What else? Oh, y'all, like, I've been watching a lot of videos of ASL performers, but 
specifically Black ASL performers. And I'm really intrigued by AAVE, so African-American Vernacular English ASL, but performers. Like they are, they're putting on like ballets with their fingers and their bodies and their shoulders and their facial expressions. Like it is really a beautiful sight. And I think it's really cool. Um, the more that I've kind of watched and I learn about Black people and our history and the culture we've created with like ASL, um, and it's actually a different language than regular ASL, like Black ASL is a whole different situation. I think it's just really cool um, seeing it become more prominent. And at the same time, some of these ASL performers is fine as shit. Like we're not even going to pretend like we didn't all thirst over that one in DC. We didn't care what he was doing or saying. He could have, I don't know what, he could have done anything. And everybody was like, who is that in the corner in that suit? Um, yeah. <laughs> Y'all know which one I'm talking about. Uh, anyways, I think that's all I got uh, for Earth is Ghetto this week. I'm going to transition and jump right into Tales from the Trap. So I had a whole different Tales from the Trap that I wanted to talk about that I'm going to save for a different day because I really feel the need Um, because it came up. Like I really feel the need to process just out loud in this moment and um, my current state because I'm, I'm removed several years from from this time in my life but I really feel the need to just process it so I'm gonna do that instead of talking about the tales from the trap that I had in mind I'm gonna talk about 2019 which was the worst year of my career um, so in 2019 I had three young people die that year um, two died by gun violence and one was fatally struck by a car and 2019, I was still working as a clinician in a um a court ordered program for youth who were involved with the juvenile legal system in my locality. Um, and so this was a post adjudication program. So essentially, young people who have committed offenses and there's enough evidence to prove they are you know, guilty of these offenses, um, that they can be deferred into a program that if they successfully complete the program, their charges will either be reduced or dismissed. And so I worked in that program as the clinician. Um, it's very similar to a drug court. If anyone listening, if you're familiar with drug courts, it's very similar to a drug court, but we had a behavioral health docket. And so it focused more on just the behavioral um needs of the young people that are impacted by the court system and and where I where I live and work. And so I worked in that program from 2016 until 2019. Yes, from 2016 to 2019. Um and that was such a pivotal moment in my life, in my career. I learned so much about who I am as a social worker, as a troublemaker, as a revolutionary, as a therapist. I also learned how much I didn't enjoy doing therapy full time. I learned that part as well. Um, and a lot of me learning how much I didn't enjoy doing therapies because kids would come to the office 
Um, we would have the sessions, they would do the work, and then they would go back into environments that suffocated their brilliance. Um, and it was just like this cycle that absolutely never ended. It never ended. Um, and so during that year, no, actually, let me back it up. Like I even think about, yeah, being in, working in that program from 2016 to 2019, I know in my city, which is Richmond, Virginia, like 2017 saw some of the worst violence and death amongst uh, young people under the age of 24 at the time. I know there was a series, it was two murders and one one woman was, was shot um, that happened in 2017 that like rocked the city. It was two young people, both under the age of 15, I believe, who were killed. And there was an adult woman who was uh, grazed by a bullet um, to her head. And that happened in 2017. And then those deaths resulted in so many other shootings and, and deaths of what many presume to be retaliation all throughout 2017. We lost so many young people in 2017. So many people were just shot. Um, you know, non-fatal gun injuries occurred in 2017 and then continued into 2018. And so by the time kind of I have these back-to-back -back experiences of just young people, like being incredibly proximate to youth death. Because even working in that program with young people who are, you know, have are under court supervision, what what I came to to learn and understand, like so many of those kids that I saw, they had been on probation for like two, three years on some like bullshit charges from just being honest. Like they would come in on these things that are known as status offenses. And so if you're not familiar with the status offense, it's essentially a crime that a kid can be charged with that if an adult did it, it would not be considered a problem. So if that's truancy, if it's a curfew violation, uh, but here in Virginia, we also have this thing known as a, a CHIN supervision um, and a CHIN service. And so CHIN stands for Child in Need of Services or Child in Need of Supervision. Um, and so those are essentially like if a child is in need of service, you can have you know, it could be a guardian, a concerned adult. It can be someone in the education system can go down to the court and file a petition for the court to get involved and place this child in some sort of services. If it's like court mandated treatment or residential or whatever it looks like. But anyways, like a lot of kids would come like the first contact with the court would be through like a status offense or through a chins. And because of the way their terms and conditions would be set up, like they would get violated for doing simple things. And then they would also accumulate new either misdemeanor charges um, or even felony charges that would land them on probation with the court. And so during my time with the court program, the, you know, we had a lot of young people coming through with like larceny charges or just um, auto theft, burglary, all kind of stuff. Uh, things that young people do to survive in a city and in environments that are rapidly changing and economic conditions are not improving for them. And so of course they would engage in behaviors to find a way to make a way. Um, and so I had a lot of young people who were deep 
and the things that were happening at the time who were very close to uh, other young people and um, just older adults and youth who were either murdered or shot or being swept up by law enforcement and locked up. And I just remember them kind of coming into group and trying to process some of that stuff. Also remember trying to work with the parents and caregivers of these young people because they were overwhelmed. They also just did not know what to do. And I can really tell they were parenting from this place of so much fear and like their love looked really angry. It looked really hard and young people don't know what to do with that. That kind of translates to my mama don't care about me. My mama just want, just put me out the house. My mama don't give a shit what happened to me. Right. Um, but these, like the parents were lost at the same time. The kids were lost. The parents were needing safety and protection and love the same time. Kids were needing safety, protection and love. And nobody was in a position to give it to each other. It was some bullshit. It was, it was a time. <laughs> it was a time in my career. But there was a moment when one of my young people was murdered um, that it really hit for me that no matter what I do, how hard I work, how many hours I work overtime, how much effort I put in, like, Kim, you can't save anybody. You can't fix these big problems that existed before you ever started doing this work and before you ever became a clinician in this program and before you ever met this young person in this family. And the reason I came to this conclusion, because when I tell y'all for this one particular young person, I did everything. Whatever everything is, I did it, right? Like I still remember sitting in the office with my colleague at the time, and we get a phone call from um, a detective, a police officer, and they essentially say like, hey, if you don't get this kid out of here, they're going to kill them. And we were like, what? Like, what are y'all talking about? They were like, look, word on the street is they coming for him next. And if y'all don't get him out of Richmond, they're going to kill him. And so we go into planning mode and try to figure out, all right, well, how do we, like, what do you even do? <laughs> I'm laughing to keep from crying because like, what do you even do? What do you even do when you get calls like that? Like, what do you mean? Like, if 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 we, if I don't do something, they go kill him. How did everything come down to this moment? How did we get here? But anyways, um, we end up finding respite for the weekend. And so we're able to put him somewhere for 72 hours while we work on a plan with his mom at the time to like completely relocate them out of the city. And we find the resources. Some of them come out of staff's own pocket and including my own to be able to rent the U-Haul, make the arrangements like what, two hours outside of the city, find accommodations, find furniture, like go to their home in Richmond, pack all their things up into the U-Haul, get on the road and drive them um, to this new life right, that, that we're, we're hoping for. And so we get there, we help them unpack everything, um, help them get settled, take them to the grocery store, say goodbye, get back in the car and um, head back to Richmond. And so hoping that like, hey, we did everything, I did everything to keep this kid alive. Um, 
still maintain contact because that's just who I am. That's who my team was at the time when I was at this job. And so we still maintain contact and the mom is telling us about things that are going on. We hear from the young person, like he's really struggling to transition into this new life because it was a rural community. Like we're not even going, I'm not going to lie to you about that. Ain't nothing rural about Richmond, but where he moved to was incredibly rural. And so he didn't even know how to make any of that make sense to his life. And so he just rejected it all. Rightly so, I get it in retrospect. I get it. Like nobody even asked him if he wanted to go. Um, All the adults in his life made the decision for him to go. So he just couldn't make sense of his new situation. And so he um, ended up stealing a car to drive back to the city, um, just trying to get back home, he said, to, to see his friends. And so he ended up getting pulled over by the state trooper and he got locked up and he did a little bit of time um, in the juvenile facility. Uh, when he got out of the juvenile facility, he was trying to transition back into life, um, started to acclimate in a different way. Um, and then one day, one night, he was at a party and um, this was still living out away from the city, but he was at a party and he was shot. I believe in the back, if I'm not mistaken, um, he was shot in the back by a teenager. So by another youth and he died. And I still, let me slow down and breathe off of that. Yeah, he was shot in the back and he died. And um, I still remember like getting that phone call and being like, what? Like, nah, 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 not him, nah, nah, you lying. No, no, not him. That wasn't supposed to happen to him. We did everything to keep him alive. I did everything to keep him alive. What do you mean he died? And so it really took me a while because after, and that was the same kid and I still got that picture. I remember like I took him to um, his first job interview. It was like a Saturday morning at McDonald's. Got to get him a little button up. The tie was way too short. Like that shit stopped at his belly button. <laughs> uh, but I remember taking him to the job interview and he came back out to the car. He was so excited. He they they hired him. He had a smile I've never seen before on his face. And that's the way I still picture him, of course. Um, but at the same time, he wasn't supposed to die. But when I think about it, it was always set up for him to die. Like he, it was never set up for him to win. It wasn't set up for him to be successful. And I'm using him as an analogy for them all. His, his situation is not unique because um, it happened again, right? So his death, happened in September. There was another one that was in October and then one happened in August. So y'all, I got the trifecta, like them shits hit me back to back, August, September, October. Um, and I was, a, I, I'm not going to say I fell apart, but I definitely had got to the point where I was like, fuck all this shit. Like, what am I doing? What is this purpose? And a lot of my reaction had much to do with the way people around me were trying to just keep going about like shit was regular. 
And I was like, this is not regular. Kids should not be dying. And in many ways, the adults that are trying to act like things are regular contributed to the death by inaction, by harm, by enacting policies, by just sheer bullshit, right? And so I remember just trying to make sense of the world around me and it just could not make any sense. But then I also had to turn inwards and and further recognize that I can't give this work my all because my all doesn't keep kids alive, right? Like it doesn't, it doesn't change big problems. It doesn't solve for huge system or structural issues. And so that's when I learned actually about moral injury, which those who have been hanging around for a while know I'll talk about it through and through because people tried to tell me I was dealing with burnout when I knew I wasn't. I knew I wasn't at the end of the road. I've actually never experienced burnout. I don't know what that feels like and I won't figure it out. I'm going to leave social work before I ever know what burnout feels feels like. But no, folks tried to tell me I was burnt out and I knew something else was going on because I still had the zest for the work, the passion for the work. I was still angry and filled with rage and I wanted to to do something, right? I wasn't ready to kind of throw it in and and walk away from it all. Um, But I still think about that year of my career and my time in that particular job because it really put me down the path that I'm on now. It put me down the path of moving away from just downstream work, right? Like I've had folks in my life use the analogy around downstream and up, downstream and upstream work. I have been doing downstream work for about a smooth decade, working individually with kids and their families. And so, you know, pulling one baby out the river at a time, but then you look up and there's like 20 other babies rushing down the river. And you're just like, oh shit, like I can't get all these babies. I got to go figure out what's going up, going on upstream to try to slow down the flow of the babies getting in the river in the first place. And the death of, of those young people made me want to go upstream and figure out how to slow down babies getting put in the river in the first place um but not but and as hard as that moment in my career was I can now sit in a place of gratitude for all that it offered me and the clarity that it provided and I know exactly who I do this work for I know exactly who I fight for. I know exactly who I get in trouble for. I know exactly who I do all of this for and why I do it. I have so much clarity. I have such a sense of purpose in my work um, that I really can't be swayed. And that's, you know, that time in my career helped me set the three priorities in my work, which is to increase the visibility of Black youth to eliminate barriers to dreaming and to create pathways to opportunity for Black youth and Black people, all because of that time. And so I wouldn't change any of it. And I pause because even thinking if I can change and, and bring them back, what what could that do? But I can't. <laughs> 
I can't. There's no magic wand. Um, there's no magic wand. There's just the reality of what was and what is and, and what can be. As long as I remain focused and clear in my purpose, vision, and mission. And so I feel so much better <laughs> after letting that out and sharing that. Um, but that was quite a time, quite a time that I had in the trap. All right, let's transition into a good black word. All right, so for a good black word this week, I want to talk a little bit about applying patience and effort as well as just like wisdom and the training to understand what it is. And so in my practice um, this week, now the last, I would say maybe, not yet, this week, I really been focused on just wisdom training, which is made up of these concepts of like, do we have the right understanding and do we have the right thought? And by right is to be understood as something that is true, authentic, and real. And so with like just the right understanding, it's really about being able to recognize that we're all connected, like things are connected to one another, no matter what those things are, right? And then really honoring and seeing like our basic goodness, because goodness exists. I believe I talked about it last week, how I invite goodness into my life as a way to understand and remain aware, um, but to just honor the basic goodness that exists because there's so much in the world that would make us believe basic goodness is not here, but it is. It is within us, within us and we can choose to practice it. And then along with the right understanding is choosing to be aware in our own lives. Like that's a simple phrase, but it means so much because there's, there's so many folks who walk around and do not exist in their own life. They're just kind of here. Um, and we, I believe most who are aware, who, who see, uh, can notice the people who are just walking around but are not present in their own lives. And so with like practicing a right understanding to be able to better understand wisdom, it really becomes this place of like, cool, I recognize that we are connected, things are connected, I honor the basic goodness that exists, and I'm aware in my own life. And so along with wisdom training comes the idea around like right thoughts, and thoughts can be one tricky, 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 tricky thing, because thoughts are incredibly, incredibly possible. Uh, I mean, not possible, <laughs> well, they're definitely possible, uh, but thoughts are in incredibly, incredibly powerful. Um, and I'm not a full believer in like thoughts become things. Yeah, like some of that is true, but also things are things. And some things are just things without our thoughts, without our effort, without anything. They're just there. Um, all thoughts do not become things. All of our thoughts do not become things. Sometimes they're just thoughts that are meant to come and meant to go. And that's cool too. Uh, but with right thought as a part of wisdom training, it's about how do we release the ones that do not serve us, which is a practice and a journey I have been on for years. 
I've gotten so much better and I'm proud of myself for, but I have been on this journey for a long time, like actively practicing, releasing thoughts that do not serve me, right? So releasing negative thoughts, self-serving thoughts, um, things that can pull me away from my own goodness, right? And so along with the right thought is even when these difficult moments happen in our life, it doesn't mean that we have to turn every difficult moment into a positive lesson. Sometimes things are just shitty and we get to just say like, this is shitty and kind of just let it be what it is. And I think it's also important to be able to be like, well, this is shitty. And what is the potential lesson in it? Right. Like, what is it about this situation that I can find useful um, in my life and apply it in different ways. And then the last piece around that right thought is just embracing the dignity of all beings. So do we see people for who they are and where they are? Can we see ourselves in other people? And I'm really trying to hone in on just the wisdom training and to better understand wisdom and my relationship with it because wisdom doesn't have an age. I'm sure y'all know old people who are ignorant as hell and you know young people who are wise as shit, right? Wisdom does not know an age. Wisdom comes with experiences. It comes with understanding. It comes with practicing the right thoughts where we can release the thoughts that are do not serve us and the ones that are self-serving. Um, but wisdom doesn't know an age. And I really want to better understand my relationship with wisdom because I consider myself to be wise and it's not because it, um not an ego thing or anything it's shit it just it is what it is like other people consider me to be wise too so why even run from it I think if anything I can embrace it and I can understand my relationship with it and make sure that I put it into practice in my life because I choose to be present in my life and so thinking about like, even with this wisdom training and this idea of how can we apply patience and effort into our life and how sometimes those things can feel like they're competing because it's really hard to be patient, but also implying, applying effort when we're trying to achieve a goal or work towards a thing or complete a project or a task, or if we have some sort of timeline or whatever ambition might exist in your life. People say, oh, well, you have to be patient. You have to be patient. Well, I don't know how much longer I could be patient. Well, you still got to do the work. You still got to put in the work, but you got to be patient. And that shit is tough. That shit is incredibly tough. However, <laughs> by practicing and, and training, whatever wisdom looks like for me, I'm better able to understand and think through what applying patience and effort looks like for me without losing sight of what is practical and possible and what my own reality is. And I'm able to find some solace and some peace in that. And so, yeah, like this week and likely for the rest of this week, I'm really going to be focused on wisdom training. And then next week, I'm going to dive a bit deeper into ethics training. Um, and that one has a lot to do with like, do, am I using the right speech? Am I using the right action? Am I living the right life? <laughs> uh, so yeah, I'll be taking a turn in the ethics training next week, but right now I'm really, really settling in 
to understanding wisdom, my relationship with it, and how to just apply some patience and effort into my own life. And so, yeah, that's what I have this week. Um, And as always, because I don't know how to end any other way, please remember to take care of your hearts so that we can take care of each other because we are absolutely all that we have. Y'all be well.